89 episodes in and we're still breaking new ground. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this episode, we're actually doing one of our first interviews. I know this is episode 89 of the Crooked Table Podcast, but for the most part, I haven't really ventured forth into interviews, but this was an opportunity that I really had to uh, I really had to seize. I got a chance to speak with filmmaker Jeff Weitzman, whose new film, uh, Flipping the Script, When Parents Fight Back, deals with parents who are fighting the healthcare community to find alternative treatment for their cancer-ridden children. Uh, apparently in the United States, and this is something I didn't even re- realize until I watched the film and uh, reviewed it. You can see the, my review on crookedtable.com. Uh, when kids have are diagnosed with cancer, they are the protocol is to do between two to four years of chemotherapy, regardless of whether there's no signs of cancer up to that point or, or what the situation may be. And these uh, the parents in the film are going against the advice of the you know conventional medical community and uh, trying to find a way to, to to best take care of their their kids and you know I mentioned on the podcast before Kai and I have a little girl and uh, it really hit me it really hit me in a in a strong emotional way um, to see these parents fighting for their children's lives against everything including you know including the healthcare system that's supposed to be there to take care of them so when I realized that I had the chance to talk with talk with Jeff about this film I, I jumped right on it so um, what you're gonna hear is an interview with me and filmmaker Jeff Weitzman about his film flipping the script when parents fight back which uh, is now available on Amazon Prime and Vimeo on demand be sure to check out his film on those formats after you listen to this episode. So let's just go right into my interview with filmmaker Jeff Weitzman. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Good. So I guess just to kind of start things off, it's like, you know, what's your, um, what is your background? Did you, have you, has pa- filmmaking always been a passion of yours or is it something that's developed, uh, you know, later in life, I guess? Yeah. You know, my father was a doctor. He was an anesthesiologist. And so that's where it kind of starts. Um, and we were both into photography and we used to develop our own photographs in the darkroom. We had a darkroom in our house. And so I've always been camera savvy, but um, my, you know, initially when I got out of college, um, I got into an acting career. It went really well. And then it sort of waned and I got into a music career and was in a band. And then I was doing a lot of writing. So I had almost had all the pieces of the puzzle together, you know, just mm-hmm. without doing it. So when my wife got cancer and she went to Germany and was treated naturally and was, you know, healed in 30 days with no pain, when the doctors here said they were going to have to remove her bladder um, and she had a 50% chance of survival, um, when we got back, I wrote a story about that. The article went viral on medium.com and actually some film directors came to me saying, Hey, let's do this story. And then at the last minute they backed out. So they said, Jeff, you do the story and we'll mentor you. And, uh, it sounded horrifying, you know, and daunting, but sounded like, you know, if I don't tell this story, no one's going to tell it. I've got, I've got to get on this. So it really came out of necessity. Mm-hmm. And, um, I felt like I had really good mentors. One of them was a gal named Crystal Moselle who did uh, the Wolfpack 
and she's now come out with a new movie called Skate Kitchen. And um, there were two other documentary filmmaker directors that helped me. And it was just, I mean, you can't get any better than that. When you have, when you have a question, you can call them immediately on the phone right. and you know what to do. It was, it was like the best of all worlds. Yeah. So, so I guess it was really, as you said, just more about, um, you know, you identified an alternative treatment for your wife and then had this sort of miraculous recovery. And then just about getting that message out there really. Right. Oh my gosh. I was horrified by the number of people in my community who were getting cancer and were treating it with what their doctors said they had to do. And these poor people were getting cut up, they were getting burned, they were getting radiated. And I, I would tell them, hey, Carrie had this done. Mm -hmm. In Germany, this option is available for you too. And they go, well, yeah, my, I asked my doctor about it and he said no. And I quickly realized I'm going to have to have a better argument mm. than it worked for my wife and it can work for you. So it, it, man, I'm, I'm a big believer in film. I think, you, you know, if you want to convince somebody of something, you do it through film. So that's how it got started. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I, I refer to this quote a lot, but I know Roger Ebert famously referred to films as sort of empathy machines to really put you in someone's shoes, whether it's a documentary and it's, you know, based on real events or it's, you know, a fictional story and, you, you know, having these uh, visceral emotional reactions to a film. And um, yeah, I think, I think flipping the script really, uh, really kind of captured that from the perspective of the parents who are dealing with the situation. So I guess after cancer can be killed, you know, were you, how, what, how did you arrive to, uh, you know, flipping the script as your next project? I mean, is this something that maybe came up in your research and you were like, well, that sounds like a totally different, uh, a totally different uh, film right there. I'll tell you, I got phone calls. I, after that film, Cancer Can Be Killed came out, came out, I got a lot of phone calls from people wanting to heal their cancer. Mm -hmm. But what really shocked me was these parents saying, hey, my child's in remission from cancer, so there's no more cancer in their body but doctors are forcing them into two to three years of chemotherapy and they're starting to have organ failure. Um, they're, they're getting brain damage. Um, and this is going on for two to four years and they're in remission. And, um, I, you know, at first I thought, well, that's illegal, right? <laughs> you can't do that. Should be. I quickly found out that not only is it not illegal, um, there's no one in the country that will stop it. And so um, I just got on a plane, went to two of these families that called me, said, we've got to do something right away. Let's film you now and we'll film you over the next six months as we try to find an answer to this problem. And we really had no idea what we were doing when we started out. And we had no idea if we could help anybody. And uh, it was really just like following the, the breadcrumbs, you know, gradually finding one thing and then another and then another until we finally figured out, oh my God, this is just a giant bluff and we can call their bluff. Mm -hmm. And the reality is Child Protective Services has the power to force families and children to do something. But if the child is in no imminent danger and you prove to CPS that you're actually taking care of your child with a new health team, be it naturopathic, holistic, whatever it is, CPS goes fine. And the doctors start screaming and going, no, the child's going to die. Well, the children aren't dying. Mm -hmm. and, now, and now we have 
you know, a case history of a lot of children that are getting well without doing long-term chemo. And so, you know, hopefully this is going to have a happy ending. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, that, you know, making that first film, you sort of establish yourself as a, a kind of uh, authority on this subject because you I mean you have firsthand experience with it. So just then the next film just kind of, uh, I guess, flowed pretty organically. And I'm assuming those, those two families that reached out to you, those are the ones that bookend the film. Correct? They are. Yeah. They are the ones that start and end the film. Yeah. So then, you know, you have, you kind of give yourself, as you said, a six month window to, to get all that other footage and, and reach out to all those other, you know, all those other sources, the experts and, you know, other families dealing with the same kind of thing. And, and the, you know, the film sort of, I guess, uh, in a way the structure kind of builds itself. It does. But, uh, even having said that, um, you really feel like you're in the dark. Yeah. I, I think because you're filming, you're filming, you're filming, you don't know how it all is all going to fit together. Mm -hmm. Don't know if it's going to resolve. And I think that's, you know, some of the fun of filmmaking really oh, yeah. is not, not knowing and, and then having it somehow at the end all makes sense. Um, so yeah, it was pretty thrilling along with being terrifying. <laughs> so, so you, you know, these families reach out to you and you decide to, you know, you fly out and interview them. So what is the process of then getting in touch with all those other people and like, you know, financing a project like this? Like how does like, like just the practical side of it? Yeah, I what I like to do is um, sort of get the word out there, sort of like casting a net. Mm -hmm. And so I do that right now. You can do it through Facebook pages. And so I put out an article on medium.com. Some people responded that way. And a lot of people responded on Facebook. They would just post, hey, this guy's doing this film about our plight. And, you know, these Facebook family pages have like 200 families in them, you know, all dealing with kids cancer. Oh, yeah. They're looking for a way out. So I got contacted by numerous people and, and I just called them all until I found the right people that um, were motivated. That was the trick. Who, who Who's motivated to do this? And um, so uh, I, I just went out there, started getting, getting them to uh, talk. The hardest part of the puzzle, and this is going to sound strange, was finding doctors who would talk about what's going on. And that's where it's so difficult to do an objective film because mm -hmm. you want to have people on both sides so the viewer can make an educated decision, right? Mm -hmm. And, oh, my God, I can clearly see that this is a better option than that option. The problem is these pediatric oncologists and doctors, they don't want to be interviewed. And they, I, everyone I talked to said, no, I will not talk on camera. And when I did my first film, Cancer Can Be Killed, I interviewed a researcher from City of Hope Medical Center, a researcher, and um, great testimony she gave that immunotherapy drugs harm the body along with trying to kill the cancer. And once that film was released, City of Hope called Amazon and said, take this film down immediately. It's an infringement of property rights, which it wasn't. I had a signed release. And there was nothing I could do except take that footage out of the film and then put the film back up without that interview with City of Hope. And and that just showed me that, you know, they want it all their way. They want to control everything. They want to control the discussion and they don't want to be challenged. So yeah. you know, I was lucky to get the doctors I did on this film to speak openly 
um, because, you know, they're in a lot of fear of, of getting repercussions of saying things that they're not supposed to say. Mm hmm. Do you have uh, do you have investors for a project like this, or is this kind of so? Yeah, so the fine <laughs> the financial trick is with my first film. I tried to get it made, and right. and I wanted to have people uh, join me in the funding, and I quickly learned that they wanted to change the story, and I didn't want to do that because I had just counseled hundreds of cancer patients and knew exactly what they needed, and I knew this was the answer. So I just funded it all myself. And then, um, you know, the money comes in from the streaming revenue from Amazon, from mm -hmm. DVD sales, and it's actually going to pay for itself in two to three years. So with that money, then I was able to fund this next movie, Flipping the Script. I'm now completely broke. <laughs> right? but, I, but I have two films out there that are both bringing in income. So the third film is going to be a little tricky for funding, but right. I did get the first two done and I'm so grateful that I, I was able to do it with my funding because I was able to, um, you know, keep the story intact and not have to cater to someone else who wants it to be a different way. So wh what were they trying to dilute the, uh, you know, your message basically about how cancer can be treated or what was, what was the yes. so they mind, alternative version? They wanted less answers and less talking heads and they wanted more uh, cinema verite. Okay. They, wanted, they wanted me to follow these people in their pain and in their misery and just sort of uh, allow the viewer to get the sense of how difficult and painful it is for them to be, you know, dealing with cancer. And, uh, first of all, um, the patient doesn't want that. Second of right. all, the doctors in the hospital are not going to sign off on that. So you're only going to get that cinema verite situation when you have the hospital funding the project mm -hmm. and not the independent filmmaker. So I really didn't see that as possible. And um, at that point when I realized what they – they said, oh, the footage from cancer can be killed. Get rid of it all. You need to start all over. <laughs> and I was, I was pretty sure that I had something. And when we edited it, it was clear that we did. So uh, everybody just has a you know a different opinion of of what's going to sell. And when it comes down to it, the executive producer wants to make money on it. So um, that's that's why I couldn't negotiate with them. I just had to take it away and do it myself. Right. Right. So okay. So you did six months of. Uh, you know, intermittent, I guess, interviews and that kind of thing. Do, were you were you managing a, a, a day job of any kind during this time, or was it just pretty much focusing on this as much as, or, or was this more of a side focus? Yeah, I had a day job for a couple months, and then I just stopped it. it, mm -hmm. it my, I had a window cleaning business, and I'd had it for about the last 25 years to go along with my creative pursuits, but I really realized if I, if I want to do this film right and not be distracted and I was horrified by what was happening to these kids and felt like I got to get this film out right away because mm -hmm, this, yeah. this needs to be heard right now and we need to find a solution right now. So two months into the filming, I quit my day job and just gave it up. And, um, so, uh, I'm glad I did. I, it's, it's so hard if you're really going to, commit to a project to um to be working 20 30 hours a week which i was it just right i, I couldn't do it so 
how did uh, how did the focus of the film sort of change when once you went uh, went in and tried to uh, edit together all the footage you had and and um, you know did you discover anything along the way that you didn't maybe think about when you went in? Yeah, we had no idea how to tell the story again, and, and I mean we were we would look at the interviews and be amazed with what we were seeing and hearing. But we, we still didn't know how to tell the story. And <laughs> I went back to my tried and true documentary film method, which is go on a quest mm -hmm. and just make it a quest and, and do it sequentially. Go ahead and, and do it in the exact time that you filmed it. And and I, I, I felt like important to this film was I've, I've got to raise the questions and then I've got to answer the questions, almost right. like a legal trial, because um, we are, you know, we are um, on trial for what we're saying, which is that long-term chemo hurts more kids than it helps, and natural treatment is capable of restoring these children's health. And so it, it really was like, you know, we're on trial here, so let's let's make it a legal argument almost, and. So that, that was what we figured out in editing was, A, let's make it a quest, and B, let's answer questions. Okay, so what are the questions? You know, the questions are, what other options do these families have? And does natural treatment work for adults? And if it works for adults, why aren't we allowing it for kids? Right. And then finally, um, you know, what do doctors have to say? What do lawyers have to say? And what do politicians have to say? And I felt like once... We got all that. We we would get a well-rounded view of the of the issue, and I'm hoping we did. Yeah, I think so. I mean, as as you said, you're basically step by step building a case with the film, and it's and I think that's part of what what makes it work so well is that you're not just getting parents' perspectives of them dealing with you know this is horrific event with their children, but that you're kind of peeling peeling back a little bit more on the political side of it, on what the healthcare community is, and everybody's perspective, and kind of the the system that allows this to continue. I mean, I, you know, I have my, I have a toddler of my own, so I mean, this was really hitting hard for me. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's it's really the film kind of, in addition to <laughs> exposing a lot of the corruption and stuff that's going on with with uh, the way that cancer is being treated, especially with children, I think it really is a kind of a testament to the, the love of these parents and like just how far they're willing to go to, uh, to protect their kids as, you know, as is their right to do so. And um, to the point that they're literally, literally fighting the system to keep their kids alive. I mean, I can't imagine. Um, I, I just remember when I had a toddler, I felt like I was working all the time. I was mm -hmm. exhausted. And, and, and now you want to throw, you want to throw on me having to fight the system. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it just seems overwhelming. But, um, uh, yeah, these parents in the film were absolutely amazing. Um, just in, in their drive to, um, to get answers and to treat their, their children well, and, and their children are all thriving right now. And it's, you know, it's just amazing. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm super impressed with them. Yeah, I mean, as soon as as soon as I watched the film the next day, I told my wife, I'm like, okay, you need you need to watch this because you know her family is uh, her family. Her mom is is very uh, 
she's an acupuncturist, so she's very like holistic medicine and always looking for alternative medicine and questioning like kind of what, what doctors have to say, not just taking everything at face value. So I said to her, I'm like, you need to watch this movie because it's it's really, you know, speaks a lot to, you know, kind of where we're coming from and uh, the perspective of, you know, uh, that, you know, just because the medical community says, well, this is a given, this is the next step, the the protocol for treatment is X or Y or Z. And, uh, and usually they don't even give you the three options, which is funny. Um, <laughs> So true. That, so that true. Just to uh, that, just because that is what they do doesn't mean that's the best way or the only way to handle things. And I and I think your film uh, did mm. a terrific job of communicating that. Thank you. Do, do you think we're in a uh, a little bit different time right now where people are more open to things like uh, your wife's family and and what they do to sort of work through stuff? I think I think we're getting there. I think uh, <laughs> little by little. I I think. People are, I mean, you see around us now, you know, you even like in restaurants or things like that, they're like, oh, we need to offer healthier options or, you know, here's, you know, everybody's trying to be more, more aware of nutrition and the role that that plays. Uh, I think it still has a long way to go. And I think the fact that the system is perpetuating the opposite doesn't really help, uh, you know, push, pushing, uh, pushing, you know, drink your soda, your, your, your junk food and your sugar. And I mean, one of the, and that's the funny thing. One of the interviews in your film is, uh, I forget, I can't remember anybody's name. You know exactly what I want to say. It's, yeah. uh, the mother who's like, Oh, you know, no, the, it's, all calories are good calories. And, and, uh, you know, the, and then the, the nurse is coming in with her soda and just kind of like that whole, it's even in the trailer, actually. Um, it was like, really <laughs> this is how you're approaching caring for my sick child instead of trying to like you know detoxify them a little bit and uh you know the the body is and i, I think your film makes this point also the body is really good at healing itself if you give it the tools and you create an environment where it can do so that's a good point and i, I think we've come from a perspective of where you have to trick the body mm -hmm. somehow and we do that by giving it these drugs, and then it, it, it you know, it treats the symptoms, and, and right. may, maybe will work. Um, but uh, I've even read on Facebook pages that, oh my God, you don't want to detoxify the child because that would get the chemo out of their bodies. You want to leave the chemo in their bodies and uh, let it do its destruction, um, so that the cancer doesn't come back. But um, yes, there's a lot. There's a lot of mythology in medicine and what's interesting is i'm actually getting feedback now from doctors that are saying hey this has to stop people mm -hmm. as doctors we're not even allowed to practice the way we want to we've, we've got to change some things and that's the exciting change that i'm seeing is that wow doctors are actually willing you know to step out on a limb and say hey we've got to change that so that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, well, that's where that's where a lot of the change has to has to really occur is on on the physician side of things, and they're the ones that can really, uh, you know, push the advancement of holistic medicine and and nutrition and just you know uh, just a d different way of of looking at healthcare instead of just you know chemotherapy and pharmaceuticals and. All that stuff, which uh, I don't, it really, it never, honestly, it never really made sense to me that we're going to cure your cancer, your body's destroying itself by almost destroying the body. It doesn't, uh, you know, do, do you think, do you think that chemotherapy has a role for cancer patients at all? Or do you think like it should just not, it should just be avoided whole cloth? 
you know, in the case of uh, emergency situations, mm-hmm. so let's say a child isn't breathing right. or, or let's say an organ is blocked, you know, in those cases, uh, chemotherapy maybe for a week to 30 days maybe right. is, is useful. Um, but there are so many cases where IV nutrition would reverse these kids' cancer um, pretty quickly. And so, um, yeah, unfortunately, we got to keep chemo in there as an, as an emergency situation. But that's it, just for emergency situations. Otherwise, we really don't need it because we've got a lot of test results from all around the world of natural things that work. Um, so that's uh, going to be interesting to watch over the next 10 to 20 years. Things are going to change. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the fact that these kids are subjected to years of chemotherapy is just like, oh my god, it's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling, mind-boggling. Uh, you know, and these ki- these protocols for these kids, a lot of them they came up with in the fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. and they haven't changed them, and they haven't done new tests to find out if they still are legitimate. And you know, then when you find out, you, you make one point five million dollars per child. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh. That's why. And the pediatric oncologists make two to three million dollars a year. Ah, okay. That's a lot of hush money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That cover a lot of skepticism if you can just pay everybody off and, and then, you know, don't allow any testing for anything else. And, um, you know, you can pull off the, the sham for quite a while. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, to, to my earlier point about how I, I think things are starting to change i mean i'm seeing now uh, cbd oil and cannabis oil like that it's starting to go mainstream like they have it everywhere like do you see a lot of shops that you know it's available uh i've seen kiosks in the mall like down a few minutes from my house so it's people are starting to realize oh wait you know you can take care of the body naturally without having to resort to chemicals and and radiation and things like that so i i think I mean, I think there's a long road ahead, obviously, but I think, you know, people are starting to wake up to that. And talk, talk about the gateway drug to health. CBD, uh, now Coca-Cola is actively trying to purchase a large cannabis manufacturer so they can make a new product uh, with a new soda with CBD infusion in it. And um, it's like, wow, it's really going mainstream here. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is great, and I, I do feel like um, with with just with cannabis getting stronger, it's going to provide more health options for more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is starting. So people are starting to break down the uh, the sort of the stigma that CBD oil, cannabis oil, doesn't have THC in it. It's not like it's not even the the you know the elusive, not the elusive, but the uh, the yeah. effects of the drug. It's, it's, it's just yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Um, yeah, exactly. And so people are starting to get that, and it's starting to uh, it's starting to become more uh, more commonly used. So I think, yeah, I think that's great. Um, so as far as you know, you mentioned it, it might be tricky to pull off a third film. Do you have ideas for one? I mean, maybe in your research for this one, did you come up with like take a no- take notes off to the side and be like, well, that could be another avenue to explore and if so would it, i guess it would be would do you want to continue with future projects uh in this vein and just keep uh you know an extension of your original your original point that cancer can be killed yeah i think i think maybe the next 
wave is there's um, one of the doctors from the film, um, Dagmar Abaini, has a practice called Zeus's Way Integrative Practice in Wisconsin. Um, she's booked up through December now as a result of the film coming out. The film's only been out two weeks, and she bu got booked up two months in advance. Because Dagmar Abaini is one of the few people in the country that knows how to repair children's guts after getting so much chemotherapy. And that's the problem. The doctors, you know, when they let them go after two to four years of chemo, they don't do anything about the destruction in these children's bodies. Mm -hmm. And so Dagmara knows how to repair the gut and she knows what supplements are needed to repair the, the stomach. It can take, you know, six months to a year to do, but she knows how to do it, what testing to do for these children. And I think the next film is going to be a short film just with how she repairs these children's bodies. Um, and then after that, the next film I want to do is doctors that want to change the system. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I think that would be exciting to find doctors that are saying, Hey, here's what they're telling us we have to do. And here's what I'm doing. And I don't care what they say. That's, that would be interesting to me because, um, I, I feel like, um, those guys are there's there's guys like that out there and they're cutting edge and you know i just have to persuade them that they're not going to get killed if they <laughs> testify. right so i think that would be fascinating so that's that's kind of my interest yeah getting getting doctors to speak on record on camera about that would be yeah that that's that would be more of an endeavor i imagine just from a you know from a you know research perspective of getting you know getting everything together just all the footage you'd need yeah, yeah, um, but there's there's some people out there that are, are are really doing some cutting edge stuff, and so you know we already know who they are, and now it's just a matter of coordinating. All right, what's the story? What are we trying to tell? But um, yeah, we'll see where this leads. I mean, I, I feel like the next six months are really just going on the film festival circuit and flying around and meeting people. And as I meet people and as we share stories, I think that's another way that something's going to develop. Yeah, I think so too. So, realistically, like, who do you th who do you think has to? How do you think that the conversation can can change? Like, f from a medical perspective, it, is it really going to take doctors just speaking out, or like, what do you think? What do you hope that your films achieve as far as making a difference with uh, from I guess from the perspective of the medical community because they're really the ones that need to sort of adjust to with the times in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I think what we've learned really is that they're not going to change. But what we have found, you know, is that awareness, it starts with awareness. So you got to raise awareness everywhere mm -hmm. in the country. And then the next thing you have to have are people that are doing things differently, which we have. There, there's not too many right now, but it's like functional medicine doctors, holistic practitioners, integrative practice or practitioners. Um, so we've got these people that are treating people differently. Um, once people find out that patients are having success with these alternative practitioners and that starts to get reported, then we can start making some headway into growing the awareness and people going, oh, hey, wow, there's a, a better way of doing things than this old way. Right. And then, and then we can gradually start introducing laws in, in legislatures and we can, we can, um, also do ballot measures 
And they would, you know, the ballot measures would be things like um, granting children permission to uh, do alternative practices and insurance has to pay for it. Because right now insurance doesn't pay for anything but the toxic stuff. Mm -hmm. If we can get insurance to start paying for the non-toxic stuff and we can build up you know, a, a history of case studies that are really doing well, then, then things have to change. So I look at the big, the biggest changes over the last 20 years, and then they've been the legalization of cannabis and they've been, um, the legalization really of gay marriage. And, 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 and those happened through uh, a, a coalition of a lot of different people coming together and saying, Hey, we've got to fix this right now. And, um, so that's what we're doing right now. We're building a coalition of a lot of different people, the cannabis people, the alternative medical people, uh, the parents rights people. And, and we start, you know, moving forward inch by inch saying, Hey, this is what we need. This is what we believe. And, um, I I think it's going to happen, but it's, it's going to take time, starts with awareness and then eventually hopefully comes into some laws on the books. Right. Well, we're seeing a lot of, uh, political movements and everything right now. So, I mean, that's another thing that I think sort of gives me hope that if we, if you can create a groundswell for this issue, that there will be people and they will run with it and create hashtags off of it and get everybody talking about, you know, uh, about this issue and uh, hopefully making a difference. So uh, the film is available now on Amazon Prime Video and uh, Vimeo as well. Is that correct? Vimeo demand for those people that are out of the country and want to see it worldwide. So what's your plan with the film now? You're, are, you, are you applying to film festivals? Or is it scheduled to play any of them? Yeah, it's, uh, we, we sent it out to, we submitted to about uh, 25 or 30 film festivals. They all occur between January and September of 2019. And um, a number of them, a number of film festivals we were already accepted with cancer can be killed and they've said, Hey, we'd love to have you back. So we're pretty sure we're going to be in there. So, um, yeah, January through September of 2019, we hope to be all around the country in theaters everywhere. That's terrific. Well, um, for people listening, is there anywhere that you people can find you online or, uh, to follow up on, you know, the adventure with this film and, and, you know, more, uh, more of what you have going on in the future. Yes, uh, they can go to flippingthescript.com, uh, and on that website we have lots of stories, uh, treatment options, ways to handle the government when they're you know telling you you have to do something, and um, then for people just looking for general information on cancer, we have cancercanbekilled.com. So flippingthescript.com and cancercanbekilled.com. Yeah, in my in my research for this interview, I did see that you're very active uh, on cancercanbekilled.com, posting a lot of articles and and keeping everybody up to date on uh, you know your findings and stuff. So that's terrific. Well, congratulations on the film, Jeff. Uh, best of luck on the film festival circuit. And uh, are you anywhere on social media, or Facebook or uh, Twitter, or anything like that? Yeah, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and it's all uh, at Jeff Weitzman or Jeff Weitzman. And there's a Facebook page also for Cancer Can Be Killed and Flipping the Script. Excellent. I'll definitely pass that along to listeners. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll do what I can to get the word out about your film. Uh, I think, as I said, it's, it's being a parent myself and someone who has lost people that I love to cancer. It's it, I think, you know, I want to do whatever I can to, uh, to help support your cause. So 
Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a terrific day. I appreciate your time. All right. You too. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. So there you have it. That was my interview with Jeff Weitzman, director of Flipping the Script, When Parents Fight Back. As we mentioned on the episode, you can find the film on Amazon Prime Video right now, as well as Vimeo On Demand. You can also read my review of Flipping the Script on CrookedTable.com. That's all we have this week. Uh, Actually, you know, this episode is sort of interrupting uh, my hiatus for when the show comes back in a, in a couple of months. But as I said, I had this opportunity to talk to Jeff about his film and I, and I had to go for it and, um, you know, uh, tell you all about his, his film and, uh, and the great work he's doing as a, a, an independent documentary filmmaker. So uh, if you like this episode, please subscribe to the Crooked Table podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Consider contributing to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash crooked table. You can also rate and review the Crooked Table podcast on iTunes to help others find the show. You can find me, Robert Yanis Jr., on Twitter at Crooked Table. Of course, find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, I've been Rob. Roll credits. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-O-K-E-D. <laughs> <laughs>